0: It's a crime. This information has been suppressed this long. Now let's get on with the podcast. Hey, steroids podcast
1: viewers, raise your hand if you love this show. I'm raising my hand because I love making this show. Before I get on to a question, I wanted to discuss something that is on my mind. When you take a testosterone injection, the best time to take the anti-estrogen pill, what is the best time to take it? Well, it's actually the best time is the same time as you take the injection. Do the injection and then take the anti-estrogen pill. So, all testosterone peaks in the blood 24 hours or earlier after taking it, okay? This is... Testosterone uh, propionate, testosterone enanthate, testosterone cipionate, testosterone undecanoate, even nebido, They all have a peak blood level that happens 24 hours after you inject it. Okay. So when your blood level of testosterone is the highest, that's when you're going to be having the uh, the most estrogen effects. So take the anti-estrogen Tablet, the uh, eczemestane, the Arimidex, the Letrozole, take it at the same time as you take your testosterone injection. And then you'll have the enzyme, the aromatase enzyme that converts your testosterone into estrogen, transforms it. That enzyme that is naturally in you will be lowered. And then when you hit that spike in testosterone levels, If you're doing propionate, it's somewhere between an hour to two to three hours. Uh, It spikes and then it holds for something like 12 hours. And then it starts rapidly decreasing in your blood levels uh, so that it's gone from your blood about 72 hours after you've taken it. Uh, Testosterone enanthate, it peaks in your blood about 24 hours after you do the injection. And then it stays elevated, slowly declining each day. The amount that is released each each day slowly declines. If you if you take a two fifty milligram shot of testosterone enanthate, the next day that's released about something like twenty five milligrams of testosterone into your blood, and then you know for until about three or four days after that, it's releasing something around. 20, 20 or so milligrams, you know, it's just dropping off a little bit each day, like 20 milligrams, 18 milligrams, 15 milligrams or so, because then by about the fourth day or so, you're, you're only getting, uh, about 12 point, about 12 milligrams or so, 10 milligrams, 15 milligrams of s- testosterone from that shot into your blood. And then it begins to rapidly drop off from there. So that between seven days and 14 days or 21 days sometime between there it's gone it's completely out out of you gone there's no no more testosterone getting released in your blood two to three weeks later from a testosterone enanthate shot so testosterone all inject all injectables they peak quickly in your blood the reason why They take a while to kick in is because if you're taking long ester drugs, those uh, those dosages, you know, that overlap between weeks one, two and three. That's why it usually takes like three weeks uh, or four weeks or so to start getting the strongest effects from injectables that are long ester. You know, you're getting more amount of steroid uh, because of the remnant from the past two or three weeks. Uh, And then that's building up over three weeks in your blood to a higher amount, to a higher total amount. So that's the cause of that. But all all testosterone peaks very quickly in the blood. So take your anti-estrogen tablet when you do your testosterone injection. All right, getting on to the first question. This one's from Derek. He asks... Good morning, Dan. My next cycle is going to be the following, and what would one expect with this run, with diet and check and killing it at the gym? I like that, killing it at the gym, because that is what is required, guys. You should be doing your sets at a major intensity. That's what killing it at the gym means. That means that when you're doing your sets, you are trying as hard as humanly possible. Like when you do that uh, that max set, because every workout, this is a technique you should be using very often. You know, when you're going real hard, obviously you can't be doing this all the time because you eventually won't be able to recover and you'll go into overtraining. But doing one maximum set of Going as hard as you can go each time you go to the gym. You got to do this at least one time Uh, That doesn't mean that you're using a weight you can only do for one rep No, you could be doing this for 12 to 15 reps or 10 reps 5 reps 8 reps. It doesn't matter But what I mean is that during that set You're going until you can't move Like you are going all out You are not stopping before your body demands that you stop demands And and you're like screaming at your body to keep going that that's what intensity means and that that's how hard everybody should be training in the gyms, especially if you do steroids, you know, if you're worried about injury, then you just got to be doing lighter weights, you know, so be doing this same kind of intensity, you know, from 15 to 20 reps, you know, with the lighter weights instead. And another thing about avoiding injury is that you got to be the the tempo or the cadence of the reps is so important what that means is lowering the weight slowly okay a lot of guys when they do a bench press for example they drop the so that they can kind of skip the negative portion which is the the muscle building portion it's this is so foolish but they 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 drop the barbell onto their chest kind of and kind of catch it down there and so and then they push it up slowly you know they're pushing as hard as they can but you know it's hard for them to do the concentric, the positive part of the motion, where they, where they uh, push it up, and so when they're pushing it up, the the rep cadence is that the bar is coming down quickly, down to their chest quickly, and then being pressed up slowly. And this is the exact opposite of what you want to do. You want to be bringing the bar down slowly under control and then pushing it up as fast as you can so the bar should look like on the bench press for example it should look like it's moving downwards slowly and going upwards quickly okay but all these dudes that i see in the gym the bar is going down to their chest quickly and then up from their chest slowly This is the exact opposite of how you want to be training and doing bodybuilding. And this is also one of the reasons why these guys get injured. Not doing that is one of the major ways to avoid injury, okay? It, that, it makes no sense, dude. The reason that you are in the gym is to work your muscles. So if your muscles aren't in full control of the weights, then that's not what you're doing. Okay, you're doing something else. So when you lower it, the speed that you lower the weight at to your chest should be whatever speed allows you to maintain complete control of the weights. Okay, and then what you do is at any moment, if you wanted to, you could stop the bar from traveling downwards as it's going down as it's going down from fully extended above your chest to down touching your chest during that whole Time period where it's traveling downwards at any time if you wanted to you could stop the bar Okay, it's not like diving downwards at all and then once you get it down to your chest Then you press it up with all the power and speed that you can it doesn't matter if the weight is uh, too light uh, And and you feel like oh well, I can just push it up slowly and and under control well, you should push it up quickly and under control, okay? So you should be using all your strength and power on every rep. And people ask, you know, well, well why do big big guys grunt more when they train? That's because big guys know how to train their muscles, and that's one of the <laughs> reasons why they got big. Because when you do this, you have to kind of give out a grunting noise because you're going, you're going stretching, 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 and then you go, ugh and and you press as hard as you can okay that doesn't mean that it's not in your control it just means that you press with all your speed you're accelerating the weight you're accelerating it you should be accelerating it by pressing it as hard as you can if the weight is really really heavy for you you won't be able to press it very fast if the weight is lighter for you you'll be able to press it fast okay that that's that's how this goes so anyways If you're bench pressing, the bar should be coming down slowly under control of the muscle and then pressing up as quickly and with as much power and acceleration as that person should do. This is a way to avoid injury and it's a way to get big. And yeah, you got to grunt when you do it because every single rep from one until 10 or 15 or however many reps you do, every time you do the part that is pushing on the bench press, you're doing it as hard as you freaking possibly can. So of course you're going to grunt. Or if you're doing a row every time you're bent over and it's extended down in front of you with your arm d- down near the ground, when you pull up back towards your waist, well, you're pulling up as hard and as, with mu- as much acceleration as you possibly can every time. And then you're slow- lowering it down at a speed where if you wanted to, you could stop it. At any time you wanted, the same goes with the squats, same goes with every exercise. This should always be what you're doing because if you're not doing this, you're not really training your muscles, you're doing something else. Hey, if you've been making a mistake and not doing this so far, that's okay. Just from now on, put some more emphasis on the muscles. <laughs> it's an ego thing, it is, it's an ego thing. To not want to do this. It's an ego thing. So the, the thing with, with this is that muscles work in a, a a strength curve with their speed, okay? So you can't actually get as much power as the muscle is able to generate and as much force as it's able to generate if you do the, the part where you make the muscle go from the stretch to the contraction to the squeeze, from the stretch to the squeeze. If you don't do that part as fast as you can, then you won't be working the muscle to its maximum potential because the muscle is stronger in the stretched portion. And when it moves to the closed portion, it's not as strong in those positions. So getting that momentum that you can generate, that acceleration that you can generate from the bottom helps as the strength curve moves. That means when your muscle goes from the Stretched portion, it's the strongest that it ever can be. And then when it goes to the closed portion, the squeeze of the movement, then it's the weakest that it can be. Okay? So you want to accelerate through that so that you can learn to generate the mo- most force production and power possible. Natural training. This is obviously how evolution, nature, God intended our muscles to work. Duh. Wow, I got sidetracked on your question there, Derek, but that was an important subject, and you know what? This podcast shouldn't be all about steroids, because steroids are only one component of this shit, and you can take as much steroids as you want, okay, with bodybuilding, and you will not reach your goals unless... You got some of this training and diet stuff right, okay? And mostly the the reality is with taking steroids is that you will not meet your goals if you think that steroids are going to be some kind of shortcut or you see people that have the physiques already doing stuff, okay? Doing stuff that makes you think it's a shortcut. If you don't do bodybuilding and steroids along with basically training and dieting, as hard and as optimally as you can, you won't achieve your goals even with steroids. It, it's crazy. Like, if you think steroids are gonna just do it like some kind of magic potion, dude, for the vast, vast majority of people, that is not the case. It is not the case. So, Derek says his next cycle is going to be one gram of testosterone per week, that's 1,000 milligrams, with 600 milligrams DECA a week. 50 milligrams annavar daily 50 milligrams d-ball daily 300 milligrams equipoise per week and 15 milligrams cialis daily okay so my first impression reading that is this is one of the big guys at the gym because like i've said in previous podcasts most people that are big guys at your gym guys who are really muscular guys who you're like, wow, that guy is fucking jacked. Okay? When you see guys at your gym that look fucking jacked, well, they're usually always running something between 1,500 milligrams to 2,500 milligrams or so, or 3,000 or even as low as 1,000. You know, th- those are kind of the, the outliers on the spectrum, but it's mostly between 1,500 to around 3000 milligrams two two and two and a half thousand or 3000 milligrams of total anabolic steroids per week. Okay. And what's this guy's cycle? Well, one gram of test plus 600 Deca a week. Okay. That's 1.6 grams. And then he's got 50 Anivar and 50 D ball daily. So that's 350 milligrams per week each. So that's another 700 milligrams. So now we're at 2.3, 2.3 grams per week. And then he says three, 300 milligrams equipoise per week. So now we're at 2,600 milligrams total steroids per week. Yeah, this is the kind of cycle that people have to run. You guys that say, you, you know, is it true? Is it true? I get all these guys asking me, is it true? The doses that you say in your podcast, that people really run that? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude. The only reason you, you don't know that is because you're not... You've never seen it with your own eyes, That, but but, dude, trust me, trust me, people are doing it. I'm doing it, okay? <laughs> Around 1.5 grams per week, Uh, anabolic steroids, that's what I use, okay? And I'm, as you can see from this podcast, it's not like I'm some out, outlandish steroid user. I'm some wacko, crazy steroid user. No, no, I'm just like your, I, I'm like you know, I understand what you need to do, but I'm not being like really, uh, you know, so aggressive and, you know, willing to sacrifice my health and shit. And, you know, I don't use trend anymore or anything like that, etc. I'm, I'm a moderate guy. Okay. Anyways, back to, uh, back to Derek's question. Also adding trend, when would you add and at what dose at the, to, to the point of being too much? Like where is the max dose on trend not to have it destroy my life, so to speak? Thanks again, bud. Okay, yeah. So, trend alone at a hundred milligrams every other day, so three fifty milligrams per week. That that's to- that's tolerable, especially if you have. Well, for me, it wouldn't be tolerable if I didn't have cabergoline or primipexil. Uh But for some people, maybe it would be tolerable. I would have to have those, but. If I do have those, one of those, and I'm using that in conjunction with the, uh, trend balloon, then a hundred milligrams every other day, three fifty milligrams per week. That's tolerable for me. I mean, I've done that for months on end. I've done that for like four months nonstop before, uh, with a, bu- with a bunch of other steroids in there too. Done that back when I was like first starting out. I mean, my, my first cycle, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it it's fine. I mean, that's a great trend dose to get all of the trend effects. Like trend kicks in big time at that dose, and then at seven hundred milligrams, I mean, yeah, that feels okay too. But it that's the dosage seven hundred milligrams per week or one cc every day. That's the dosage where it really starts to like invade all aspects of your life and you can't really control it anymore for, for most people with, with drugs like, like Pramipexil or cabergoline, Okay. Like once people start going over 700 milligrams per week, that's, that's when they start getting those effects. Most people can tolerate, um, you know, 700 milligrams per week and be okay. Well, if they have those, uh, Ancillary drugs, those drugs to run alongside it, pramipexole or cabergoline. Most people can do 700 milligrams of trenbolone per week as a maximum dosage and be okay. It's going to be uncomfortable, but yeah, you can do it. Even if you're running cabergoline, your dick might not work very well. Um, and you know, here's another thing, guys, and I've said this before: is that when you're on trenbolone, your dick isn't as big. So it is a weird hormone okay and it attaches to so many different hormone receptors it's in a in a way it's like a universal hormone it re- atta- attaches at some level to all hormone receptors more or less all sex hormone receptors in the body so this attaches to the uh, or it has an effect on the Androgen receptors or some kind of receptors in your penis because it changes the way your penis is. Okay, so when you're using trenbolone, you'll notice this. Uh, this happens for everyone. Okay, <laughs> um, and it's funny. No one talks about it though, but this does happen for everyone. You'll uh, when you get a erection, a boner, you'll you'll be like, you'll look at it and you'll be like, why is my dick a little bit smaller? <laughs> like, what the fuck? And then it'll be like that for like the whole. It's not a huge amount, okay? It's not a huge amount. It's just a little bit, you know. It's just slightly, and and it's it's all around. It's like length, and the width, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm not making this up. This is a real thing. This is a real thing, okay? And everybody gets it. Everyone who used tremblon gets it. I'm not make. This is a fact. Laugh with people about it, okay? Because if you bring it up and you admit it, then maybe other people will admit it too. But the average bodybuilder doesn't want to talk about this and is going to lie about this, okay? That's just the way it is, but this is the way it is. Tremblone makes your dick smaller while you use it. And then after like two or three or four weeks or so after coming off of it, then your uh, your erection goes back to normal size. <laughs> so that's an unfortunate effect of Trenbolone use. And that pretty much happens at any dosage of Trenbolone, any dosage. It doesn't matter what dosage you use. Your dick is a little bit smaller while you use it. And then it goes back afterwards, three or four weeks after you stop using it. Um, so, yeah, for the average bodybuilder, 350 to 700 milligrams per week of trembolone is the maximum usage that they can tolerate and live a normal life and not be living a lifestyle where it's like they are dedicating their existence to bodybuilding. When you go above that, that's where you, and you're doing that all the time. <clears throat> it's going to be something more like, you know, this, this person they they live for bodybuilding and that is it that's cuz guys take 2 grams of tren per week that that's a 3 cc tren acetate syringe uh every day and guys do it uh, you know some of you guys that don't believe it i'm like are you fucking kidding me are you fucking kidding me like you just you just put the syringe in there and you pull back the plunger and then it's full of 3 cc's of tren and then you stick it in your body and you inject it, okay? People do it, okay? And it's not that uncommon. You know, people that look like the cows that are on trend, you know, they look like overgrown freaks. That's because they're doing this, okay? (laughs) Damn, damn. Some people are so, they're just so naive, okay? They're so naive. And I feel like some people are also plugged into the matrix, so to speak. And, you know, do not want uh, to know about reality and will fight to maintain the the illusion that is the matrix of, you know, low dose steroid use or no steroid use or natural, you you know, everybody's natural, you know, and they will fight to maintain this thing of like, oh, people do not take three CC syringes of trend and, (laughs) and they'll fight tooth and nail and they'll never believe and I'm like, dude, man, they'll, they'll fight to protect that when, when, uh, when you tell them what is reality. And so it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Don't be so naive. So your cycle looks good. You're going to be jacked as fuck, Derek. Next question. Jan asks, Hi. I have a question for your podcast. Do you think that pharma, anabolic androgenic steroids like testosterone, decadurablin, primobulin is often faked? And are they the same risk for bacteria as with UGL? Any favorite pharmaceutical brand? Thanks. Yeah, they are faked. Um, If you don't buy them from a pharmacy... You have to watch out for them being fakes, but it it all comes down to, you know, do you use a reputable source, you know, who or what or how are you getting your gear and, you know, what is their reputation Are their trust? Are they trustworthy if you're not buying it from a pharmacy? I mean, you have to uh, know those things Uh, and yeah, that's, that's about it. They, they do have, um. Codes and things like that, ways to authenticate them. So, uh, it's not impossible at all to get pharmaceutical grade testosterone anywhere you are in the world. You know, that's that's doable. It, yeah, it's more expensive, but it also works way better. Okay, maybe it has the same amount of testosterone, and when I say maybe, I mean, yeah. Plenty of UGLs underground labs that produce steroids have uh, you know fully dosed steroids, you know testosterone, you know at the right milligrams inside the vial, but uh, it doesn't work as good as the pharmaceutical grade. Okay, the pharmaceutical grade is made with a high sta- standard for purity. It has to pass government inspectors and shit. There is no quality assurance like that to that level with that high of equipment and cleanliness standards uh, and purity of ingredients as happens inside those pharmaceutical grade companies and you know what being healthy is a huge part of making gains on steroids so if your body is not healthy you the steroids will not work that good so you're much healthier on pharma grade gear and much less inflammation much less inflammation markers Like C-reactive protein, for one. A lot of underground gear people have C-reactive protein, CRP levels high, because of underground labs using synthetic oil in their steroids. So, you know, not organic, normal, natural oil like the pharmaceutical-grade companies use. You know, grapeseed oil, cottonseed oil, castor oil. These will be made with some kind of freaking synthetic oil that was created in a laboratory, okay? and it's not good for you. So not all underground labs use that, but a lot of times this is the case. So there is a number of reasons why pharmaceutical grade gear is the best, and that's just the way it is. Um, they, They do have pharmaceutical grade tests, DECA and PRIMO, and you know, for one thing, when I was in Vietnam, in Saigon, I was walking around through the streets, you know, they call it Ho Chi Minh City, now that it's communist after we lost the war over there. But I was walking around there in Saigon. I was going to the pharmacies looking for steroids and uh, found Orginan Decadurabalin, Orginan Sustanon 250, and then uh, some 50 milligram per milliliter test probe uh, indigenous Vietnamese brand. Uh, Bought them all, took them at my apartment. <laughs> Gave me high blood pressure and uh, headaches uh, Yeah, really good Really good high-quality stuff though can feel it like hours after taking it uh, So I mean it's the best yeah, they're not the same risk as bacteria with UGL their quality assurance standards are They have to be pure or else they get recalled any favorite pharma brand Jan asks. Yeah, I like Bayer. Bayer Prima and Bayer Testoviron. Those two anabolic steroids are awesome. For me, that's the best. For me, that's the best. Both made in Europe, like Germany or Spain or Turkey or something. Those are the best places for them to be made, manufactured there. And because they have the highest purity standards. And... Uh, that's yeah, that's the best. And then with the DECA, the origin on DECA, that, that's the best. It's the same DECA that they've been making, it's brand name DECA Durablin, the same stuff that Arnold was using, the same stuff with the Bayer Primabolin. But they they changed the name, it's still the same thing, and it's still the same like ampule and everything. They just changed, they they took out the P. From the from the primobolin and now they just call it Remobolin with a capital R. Okay. So the real bear primobolin is called Remobolin. Okay? And the oil it is not uh runny at all. It's it's actually very thick, like thick honey, and it's not injectable with a syringe like more than twenty-five gauge or so. It just it just won't go. It just flat out will not go. It's it's the it's the density of of a thick cool honey it does not move around in the ampules it's very very thick this is the same thing though you know the primabolin is more thick than the bayer testoviron but the bayer testoviron also is very thick uh it is not runny it does not if you move the ampule you know upside down it does not immediately just flow to the other side and and be upside down it's it would be a slow process of gradually moving down the ampule to the other side. <laughs> it's very thick. The reason why they make them thicker like that in the, the Bayer, the, the pharmaceutical grade Bayer stuff, is so that it stays in the injection depot for longer period of time. can't be cleared from the spot in the body that you injected it for a longer period of time. Because then it allows for a longer disbursement throughout the body, through the body, uh, as the molecules slowly get released over time, over a period of a few days into the blood. Instead of with a thinner oil, all the oil being absorbed into the body and cleared from the injection depot, the injection site, you know, within one day or so. So it allows for a more smooth, steady blood level. That's why they make it so thick like that. I also, some other brands that I like, I like um, British Dispensary, Anaball. that's pharmaceutical grade, Ball. It's really good. And um, I like Unigen too. Unigen Pharma- Pharmaceuticals is a really good company. March Pharmaceuticals is also a very good company. Those are all pharmaceutical grade brands that do orals mostly the the, the tried-and-true is the best ones for injectables with pharmaceutical grade Origenon and Bayer those are the top pharmaceutical grade by far but the other ones are great too there, there's a bunch of different little brands in a bunch of different little com- countries all over the world in Eastern Europe and uh, in Asia and in the Middle East a bunch of these little indigenous countries that produce pharmaceutical grade anabolic steroids. All right. Next question. Marco asks, can AAS increase cortisol? Yeah, they can if you are getting toxic on them, but some steroids decrease cortisol like Trenbolone in particular, decreases cortisol a huge amount, and uh, I can feel it. I can feel it. It's a strange contrast with the Trembolone, but because it does excite you more, and you would think that it would increase your stress levels, and it does increase your stress levels, but the body's sign of stress, the cortisol, goes way down with the Trembolone. So, different steroids have different effects, and... In general, the ways to keep cortisol down are to eat a low inflammation diet. So eating mostly meat and then unprocessed foods with that, like, you know, carbohydrates that come from the ground, something like potato or rice or oats, corn, maybe, I mean, maybe corn-based things or maybe... Uh, wheat-based things, maybe, but those are not optimal. Mostly potato, rice, oat, other grains that are whole grains that you eat. Those are the best source of carbohydrates to pair with your meat. And then your inflammation in your whole body goes way down and you become much more healthy if you live a lifestyle eating a diet like that. Next question is from Jack Life. What's your preference for te- test-to-trend ratio? People say 2 to 1. Mm, I don't really do test-to-trend ratio. I know that people talk about that, but, you know, this is the way it works. The more ster- the more steroids you use, uh, the more gains you make, and the better everything works. So, people say oh, well, I, I don't want to run a high testosterone so that I avoid side effects. Well, do you get side effects from testosterone? Uh, I mean, if you run an anti-estrogen, do you get a lot of you know negative side effects from testosterone? Testosterone is an incredible muscle builder. So with me, with taking steroids, I never go with any of that ratio shit. I think that that's an internet thing that people on the internet started talking about that's not something that guys in real life are worrying about guys in gyms are worrying about because you got to remember that everything you've learned on the internet about steroids you know a lot of it is just like just like folklore it's just like bullshit that gets made up passed around and then it becomes like the general thought and then a bunch of little kids that have never used it repeat it to each other on the internet and then it becomes gospel and you know frankly the way that you learn about steroids on forums and shit about how they work that is not that is not the reality that is not the real world so test the trend ratio in my opinion is one of those things if you want to get as big and jacked as possible then high dose testosterone is going to be your best friend you have to use a high dose injectable like if you don't use high dose testosterone then you would have to use high dose uh, or high dose equipoise um it would have to be one of those three and you have to you know you'd have to pair it with the trembolone. there there's no way that you can unless you're looking to do one of these these little these little things like these aesthetic boys these guys who they want to be like z's the the male model uh then you're not going to be doing any tr- test trend ratio if you're trying to get big and jacked and thick you want to run a high dosage testosterone so I'm always running like, you know, at least 500 milligrams per week of testosterone, usually up to a gram or 1.5 grams of testosterone per week. And then I would add in, you know, the smaller dosage of Trenbolone, something like 50 milligrams every other day or 100 milligrams every other day. And then, uh, you know, maybe even up to 100 milligrams every day. Uh, And I would do that, whatever was tolerable on top of my high testosterone dosage and that when you have the high testosterone in there the trembolone works so much better than if you don't have the high testosterone in there if you run the low testosterone with the trembolone it's not the same experience as running the high de- testosterone with the tre- trembolone testosterone is mega synergistic with all steroids and with trembolone it creates like an explosive an explosive environment for gains reality check asks i picked up some anadrol I've never ran it 50 milligrams pre-workout good. I tried it twice and got insane pumps and in fullness, tightened skin. yeah, it works it works pre-workout a bit like all steroids though they have to get it they have to get into your system and they have to change your DNA uh, expression so the way that your DNA tells your muscles and the rest of your body to function and be they have to get into your body and like change some of that shit. That's going on with that. So they have to build up in your system. So taking them only pre-workout, unless you work out five or six days a week, then you could do that. It just won't be optimal. Yeah, it does work. It can help you have a better workout, get a better pump, like you said, and be a bit, you know, maybe five pounds extra stronger. Maybe you could lift five pounds more weight for the same amount of reps or two and a half pounds more weight, but nothing too significant if you pop 50 milligrams anadrol pre-workout it's mainly if you take 50 milligrams every day then it creates a really big effect in the body now anadrol is one steroid that actually doesn't work in the androgen receptor as far as scientists can detect as far as they can detect it doesn't actually even get to your male hormone receptor and exert a bunch of effects there. Uh, the scientists don't know how it works; they just know it does, and we know it does, and we know <laughs> it's one of the best steroids because Anadrol is sick. Contrary to popular belief, at fifty to a hundred milligrams per day, people run two, you know, two or three tablets of Anadrol per day for, you know, huge amounts of time. Like you know, a lot of guys, powerlifters especially, do that. Uh, they just they just do that. That's what they take. And they take that basically all the time. <laughs> uh, sometimes they take some breaks, but for the most part, that's what they do. And you know, you know what? It, it is so effective when you get on that stuff. You just get strong. It doesn't matter if you eat or not. You just get strong. Muscle fibers turn to steel, get strong, even harden up. Muscles get really big pumps and I don't know what that thing about water retention is that people say about and They're like, yeah, it gives me water retention (laughs) What the fuck it gives you water retention inside your muscles It gives you water retention inside your muscles not outside. You know what that means? It means it makes your muscles bigger bigger from the inside bigger more full more popping bursting against the skin and harder-looking It it does not make you look... Anadrol does not make you look less ripped. Bodybuilders take Anadrol on the day of their bodybuilding competition to help them carb up. That is a bullshit myth that it makes you not be ripped. Anadrol is dope. I like to take it at 50 milligrams to 100 milligrams per day and just do that with my cycles, with my testosterone cycles. And you know what? I think that, uh, you know, I'm not glorifying this. I said the word anadrol is dope, but, uh, you know what? I don't think that was the best example. I was just sharing some wild experiences that I've had with incredible strength and mass gains from anadrol and looking hard at the same time. Um, but on the flip side, I've had negative experiences on anadrol. You know what I had pharmaceutical grade, um, Androlic, anadrol, And it said in the pamphlet in the inside, you know, from the manufacturer that you could run, you know, one, one milligram per kilogram up to four milligrams per kilogram of body weight for, uh, for people to, for the doctors to prescribe it. So for me, a hundred kilogram man at the time, uh, I was, that's about 225 pounds. I said, you know, said, okay, well, that says that doctor can prescribe me up to 400 milligrams per day. So I'm going to, experiment taking this all the way up to 300 milligrams per day and that shit made me so sick so sick eyes turned red totally bloodshot couldn't eat couldn't get out of bed uh felt like throwing up constantly could barely get to the gym thought I like hated bodybuilding or something then finally figured out what was going on after like 10 days or so of that (laughs) and discontinued them and everything got better so not glorifying it guys not glorifying it uh, just telling the uh, the honest pros and cons here, honest pros and cons. Next question: Andrew asks, "Can HCG be mixed in the same syringe as testosterone intramuscular?" Yes, it can. And how do I know this? Well, because I personally do it. Um, you know, if you want to do HCG, it's it's such a small amount. It's only like two tenths. Uh, for a 500 IU injection or um, or 1,000 IU injection, it's something like two-tenths of a milliliter on your syringe, on your, you know, one milliliter insulin syringe. So if you just... And it's water-based, so it flows through like nothing. So if you just want to use, like, a 5-eighths-inch needle uh, with, like, a 30-gauge uh, needle so it's very thin, I mean, you can just... You know, the way that I do it is sometimes I just will go pop and I'll be put it like into my chest, like into my pectoral or uh onto my hip flexor or ventral glute or the very uppermost part of my thigh area. I mean, you can put it anywhere because it's so, it's such a small, tiny injection of just a tiny little bit of substance. I I just put it into anywhere that is lean, but I have also put it in the syringe with the testosterone before and you know the testosterone doesn't like destroy it or anything like that because i watch for that and i mean the hcg definitely still exerts its effects like there's no question based on personal experience that mixing it in the same syringe with testosterone it definitely uh still exerts its effects because i was wondering that too because when you put it in the same syringe as the testosterone it goes kind of bubbly and separates because it doesn't really mix with the oil, you know, because water and oil don't mix. So once that happens, uh it, it doesn't destroy it or anything, though. I experimented with this on my own body, and uh nope, you still inject everything, the whole contents of it, <laughs> of the syringe, and uh yeah, it definitely works, the HCG and the testosterone both. So done it personally, it works. Nissus asks, but bro don't you think some dosage you say huge guys and pros use is crazy is it not just genetics and work ethic like i said before it when you're going you got to understand this man with life is that there are people out there who are doing all out competition okay are so if you want to play with them you got to play by their rules okay and those rules are all-out competition. So the average guy, no, he's not using some insane dosages. He's not using some insane dosages. You know, like 5,000 milligrams total AAS anabolics per week. 5,000 milligrams total steroids. Or something like that. Or more. Um, you know, that's not the average guy. But these are the guys who they have the mindset of all-out competition... And usually they are competitive bodybuilders, you know, almost always they are competitive bodybuilders and that they know that they're competing in all out competition. And so when you have all out competition, well, you got guys with hard work ethic, guys who are willing to work hard and you got guys who are, uh, have the great genetics and you know, now you take these guys and put them together. Well, now what's another variable that you can move? In order to get an edge well supplementation and how far are you willing to push that supplementation okay and different guys have different boundaries where they will go to and some guys really have absolutely no boundaries like basically as much as won't kill them right now but maybe they think they could die uh don't know when but wouldn't be surprised if it happened sometime if you ask them they'll tell you that <laughs> They send me, you know what, these guys, they they talk to me, okay? They talk to me. They send me messages online and I talk to them in real life and uh, have some pretty interesting conversations with these monsters. Some of these monsters. Next question. Miguel asks, I have never used HCG with PCT for many cycles, including Tren. Should I do a cycle of HCG 1000 IU twice per week? I am able to get hard and have sex. However, I do not feel like my libido is where it should be. I'm 46 years old. Yeah, you know that if your libido is down and you're on steroids, there's a few things that you can do. The first thing is you want to make sure that your estrogen is in range. So if you know that your estrogen is a decent level, it's somewhere in the normal range, uh, then that would be time to move on to the next step but the first thing that i would do if i was on cycle and everything seemed to be normal but my sex drive was messed up the first thing that i would do is i'd take an anti-estrogen tablet arimidex letrozole or Exemestane. okay i'd take one and i'd wait about 24 hours and then uh see if it worked and then the next thing that i'd do if it didn't work is i would start taking hcg Two uh two to three thousand IU's per week, and I'd do that in one thousand IU HCG injections Monday and Thursday, or you know Monday Wednesday Friday something like that, uh and I'd I'd start doing that, and I'd probably go through something like, uh I might do that for for three or four weeks. This is, I take HCG year round because, I didn't like having this problem, so I just take HCG year round now. But at five hundred IU week or yeah something like 500 IU per week and but for you guys that don't that don't do that you could do you could try this to kickstart yourself and this will usually work because when you take the HCG your testicles produce a bunch of pro-hormones and also your other um, hormonal glands in your brain etc produce a bunch of pro-hormones and sometimes that's what's lacking and making your sex drive uh, not work so when you take HCG it normally We'll solve this if that's the problem. So begin taking that. Um, Usually taking it for three or four weeks or six to eight weeks and then stopping will have solved the problem while you're on it. And then after you're off, you know, usually it stays solved. Usually that just fixes it for a while. And then it'll come back phantomly sometime again down the road. And you have to do another run of HCG again. And I got sick of dealing with that. That's why I started taking the HCG 500 IU. Uh, per week, year-round, so that I wasn't dealing with that anymore. If that didn't work, though, then the next thing that I would do is I'd take cabergoline, and I'd take uh, 0.5 milligrams. I'd probably take 0.25 milligrams twice per week and see if that fixed it, or maybe just a single 0.5 milligram tablet of cabergoline and see if that worked, and in 24 hours or so, I'd know. Those are the steps that I would take. If I was on cycle and having sex drive issues in that order. Those were the steps that I'd take in that order. Okay, the next question is from Airboy. He says, what different cosmetic effects do different testosterone esters give? Yeah, so they don't really give different cosmetic effects except for testosterone suspension and testosterone propionate. Like I'm talking the common esters that people get. Um, testosterone suspension and testosterone propionate do give a more round uh bolder look to the muscles or promote that uh like like balls ball shaped muscle uh filling them up uh with glycogen better and it it's also less less and ender- a- estrogenic testosterone propionate I almost got tongue tied is less estrogenic and then other than that like anat cipionate, sustenon undecanoate etc they don't really change the look of your body, but they, they're, they're just a little different. They're not, they're not quite as bang-bang uh, as testosterone propionate or testosterone suspension are. Those two, or I guess some more uncommon esters would be something like testosterone acetate, but that's very uncommon. Uh, when, the, when the testosterone hits you fast like that, it has a different effect on your muscles and gives a more bodybuilding effect to them, rather than the slow, long esters that are meant for testosterone replacement therapy. The quick-acting esters have always been favored by athletes as performance-enhancing drugs. The quick-acting esters of injectable anabolic steroids. Okay, next question is from SCC. Can I put DECA and TEST in the same syringe i was doing in one arm and the other in the other arm but pinning twice i can't stand it yeah you can put uh multiple steroids in the same syringe and they will look mixed up in there like they'll usually go into solution once you put multiple steroids from different vials or different ampules, etc into the same syringe uh generally if you you leave a little air bubble in there you can turn the syringe upside down and then right back up upside down and then right back up and that little air bubble can mix it up and make it go into solution so that there's, it just looks like uh, it uh, only came from one vial again. It mixes up clear or yellow or whatever the color ends up being. Uh, but that's not necessary to do that. Uh, I'm just saying they do mix like that. But yeah, absolutely. There's no problem with mixing together different steroids from different vials into the same syringe. That's totally common. Uh, When I was using 700 milligrams primobolin uh, per week with 700 milligrams testosterone propionate per week, I had 50 milligram per milliliter test propionate. And then I had uh, 100 milligram per milliliter primobolin. So I had to take two cc's of the testosterone propionate, 50 milligrams per milliliter per day to make it. 100 milligrams test probe and then I had to take one cc of primobulin per day. So I did a three cc syringe with two cc's test probe and one cc primobulin every day and that came out to 700 milligrams of primobulin and 700 milligrams of testosterone propionate per week. And that was a great cycle. It's a great bodybuilding cycle. One of the best. No Tomorrow asks, how do you reconstitute and inject growth hormone? What is the procedure and what is the difference between growth hormone vials and vials and pens? This is a really good question. I'm glad that you asked this. So growth hormone comes in two different forms. Uh, It either comes in vials that uh, they're like five milliliter. They're about five milliliter vials usually. And they'll have a white chalk substance on the bottom of the vial. Uh, And that is the growth hormone there But it will be dry inside the vial and you have to mix it with water and then the other type is Growth hormone that comes in a pen It'll either have a a section of water for mixing inside the pen with a section of powder or it will already be mixed So it'll just be a solution like it comes as a pre-mixed water solution of growth hormone in the pen and these pen growth hormones are superior they have special uh, vacuum seal technology and preservatives in them that they are the cutting edge technology in growth hormone and they can be even left outside for the most part most of these brands that use the pen technology can be left outside of the refrigerator at room temperature for around a month and still maintain maximum uh, potency manufacturers guarantee And so this is really good because growth hormone has to ship and when growth hormone has to ship, if you have these uh, pens, there's no, there's no uh, degradation going on. You know, unless you bought it straight from the pharmacy, if you bought it straight from the pharmacy and, you know, that pharmacy got it and they bought it, you know, from a government licensed company, then, you know, it wouldn't matter, but because it would have always been refrigerated. But, you know, what if. Before it came to your country, it was shipped from some other country. Well, it, you know, it can be degrading during that process, and that's one of the reasons. That's one of the main reasons why uh, you know these pens are the superior technology, and you know that's that's the best you can get in growth hormone. Norditropin, Genitropin. Uh, there's a few other brands out there too that have pens, but for the most part. Norditropin and genotropin are the top, the two top best varieties of human growth hormone, the pens that they produce that exists. And as far as norditropin, there is no vials of norditropin. So if you buy norditropin vials, it's fake. Um so as far as the the uh The vials, the human growth hormone that comes in the vials, you have stuff like Serostim, or you have stuff like Gintropin, Gintropin made for the Russian market. That's legit, real pharmaceutical grade growth hormone manufactured under government license in China and then sold to Russia and used in hospitals in Russia. Okay. And it always comes in all Russian writing. Okay. There's no, there's no English on it. It's all Russian. Okay. Uh, that gintropin is legit human growth hormone. Um, there is some legit hydrotropin being made, uh, but it's harder to come by. And there's also fake hydrotropin being made at, um, at a, a lot of them. There's a lot of them, and they're even sold. For example, if you go to some countries in Asia and look in their pharmacies, some of them will be selling fake hydrotropin. Which is kind of disturbing. So uh, anyways, if you get growth hormone that comes in a vial, what you do, what I do, because I do not support or encourage any of this. What I do, or would do, what I would do is pop off the top, the plastic top of the growth hormone vial and then i would take an ampule of bacteriostatic water it contains a sodium chloride solution for sterilization in the water and it's the proper ph for injecting so it usually comes in an ampule and you can usually buy this from the pharmacy even if you live in a western country if not it's available you know you should be able to get your hands on some Bacteriostatic water, so it's a sodium chloride solution, sterile water, proper pH for injection, and you take it. I would take it into the insulin syringe, and I would fill up a one milliliter insulin syringe with the bacteriostatic water after I broke off the top of the ampule for the bacteriostatic water. And the way that I break off the ampule on the top is I hold the bottom of the ampule, uh, and then I I hold I put a piece of cloth in my hand to protect my hand and I hold the bottom of the ampule and then I put another piece of cloth in the other hand and hold the top of the ampule and I hold it in such a way that my, uh, you know, I would hold it with my left arm f- straight out in front of me and then I would turn my right arm upside down so that my thumbs were touching. And that's so my, my right arm would be like upside down out in front of me. Over my left arm that was out in front of me so so that the thumbs were touching the thumbs were touching and then I would crack it I'd crack it off by twisting that uh by keeping that bottom left arm straight out in front of me and then using the right hand that was upside down with the thumb touching the left handed thumb I would crack it towards Uh, Back towards the right side of my body, I'd crack it right off crack the top right off and get that Bacteriostatic water into the insulin syringe and then I would put it into the growth hormone vial that I had just taken the plastic top off of and I would slowly press the Plunger down on the syringe so that the water uh, The bacteriostatic water then went into the growth hormone vial and then the growth hormone within 30 seconds at the absolute max would be dissolved completely in the water but the very bottom of the vial might have some growth hormone uh kind of sticking to it a little bit and so i might kind of have to turn the vial slowly back and forth upside down and right side up and kind of swirl the vial around uh to kind of uh, break up or just dissolve give it a little a little booster to help dissolve That bottom a uh, little bit of sticky stuff that might be a, a residue of growth hormone on the bottom of the vial uh, So once it was a clear mixed solution um, I'd wait for the the bubbles to go down because there's always some air bubbles inside that have to go down and then it would be a clear mixed solution It would just look like water inside the vial and I would take the syringe and uh I would pull back, uh, If it, it's usually a 10 IU vial, and I put one, one cc, one milliliter of water in it. So that means that each tenth of a cc is going to be one IU. So if I wanted to do a four IU injection, then I'd pull uh, the one milliliter insulin syringe back to the four, which would be four tenths of one milliliter. And then I would take that uh, syringe out of the vial, and I'd take it to my belly button area, and I would squeeze the skin and fat around my belly button area between my fingers, so that I was holding a bit of skin and, uh, like, belly fat area or skin area near the belly button. I'd pull it out from my body so that it was pulled out in front of me, and then as I had that chunk of flesh there in between my fingers, then I would use my other hand, and I would plunge the little needle, you know, it's like a half inch needle or a five eighteenths of an inch needle on a, a 30 gauge or a 29 gauge or a 31 gauge needle, uh, on the syringe. So it's very small. And, uh, I would plunge that into that flesh that was down that I was holding, you know, I was pulling it out from next to my belly button, holding it out in front of me, that flesh. Uh, and I would, I would plunge the needle into that. While I was still holding it and then I would do the injection I would hold I would use my uh, my pointer finger then or my thumb or whatever to then go shoot and push the the growth hormone from the syringe down into the fat. I don't inject the growth hormone into the muscle because into the muscle it's quicker it goes in and out of you faster so it does give you like a higher IGF one level but it's more brief if you put it in the fat it stays in your body longer and quite a bit longer. And the IGF-1 levels really aren't that much lower either. So it traditionally, growth hormone, has been taken in the fat. That's the way it has been traditionally used in bodybuilding. Some people take it in the muscle. You know, anecdotally, growth hormone adds a lot more water retention if it's injected intramuscularly because of the speed at which it goes through you. It causes a lot of swelling. Um, Going into the fat and doing a subcutaneous injection with growth hormone is, uh, it's preferable. So anyways, I'd be holding that flesh. I'd do the growth hormone injection. Then, uh, when I was finished, then I'd pull the needle out right away and then I'd throw it away. (laughs) Uh, and you know, mind you too, before I did the injection, I would use alcohol. I would use isopropyl or rubbing alcohol, whatever you want to call it. Uh, isopropyl alcohol. I would use that either from an alcohol swab pad like a like a cotton cotton pad with the alcohol on it that comes in a little package or I would take it from the bottle the alcohol from a bottle uh, of isopropyl alcohol and I would rub it on the area uh, that I was going to do the injection first before I did before I put any needles in me I would clean and sterilize the area with that alcohol first okay so that goes for intramuscular injections and subcutaneous injections subcutaneous means through the skin into the fat area okay and the final question of today is from tony cristo how do you deal with body hair do steroids increase the hair yeah they they do seem to increase the hair um i'm naturally a hairy hairy guy not super hairy you know not ridiculously hairy or anything like that but I think I hit puberty a little bit quicker than a majority of guys and started having those kind of androgenic effects a little bit quicker. So I was a bit self-conscious of it personally when I was, uh, when I was younger because I was about 15, about 15, 14 or 15 when I started growing some hair around my chest and stomach area, uh nipple area too. And uh, didn't want that there. So I used to shave it back then. Uh, but as it got longer and more coarse, Shaving it, you know, close with a a razor would cause a lot of irritation. So I like, uh, to have some body hair nowadays because chicks dig it. They do. It's in their, it's in their biology to like it. So they like it. And, uh, I've grown up a little bit. (laughs) I've grown up a little bit. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not like trying to be a little boy anymore. I understand that guys want to remove body hair, but I mean, if you're naturally a guy that has body hair, uh, don't be too like obsessive or freakish out about it. Cause I used to be really self-conscious about it when I was a young guy. I would, I would like, did not want people to know that I grew chest hair and stomach hair <laughs> and I would go to great length just to prevent people from knowing that. <laughs> um by shaving so smoothly and timing my shaves but yeah you know, I got over that so now now I I embrace it what I do what I do is uh the back hair I just get I ask someone to shave that off of me and it doesn't matter what razor I use but usually I I have like a a hair razor you know for cutting hair and or you can use the sideburn trimmer on the electric face razor the sideburn trimmer. Both of those will work or one that's for cutting hair like head hair. And then you just ask somebody to shave it off your back. Or you can kind of use like a Bic razor on your back. If you look in the mirror and uh, shave with your arm behind your back, you can usually reach most spots, but uh, asking someone else to do it is better. And then like with, with, uh, with my chest and stomach, I just do the same thing. Uh, but I just use the the electric razor only. And that way there's no irritation ever. Because I hate getting that razor burn. And hate getting those bumps when the hair grows back. So, yeah, it's not like super smooth ever. Or like I'm a pre-adolescent boy ever or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I think it's better to just embrace the chest hair, dude. Especially, you know, it, it matters what your race is. Like Asian guys, they don't have a lot of chest hair. Um, some Mexican guys have more hair than others, but most of them don't have so much chest hair, at, at least in my experience, um, black guys, some of them have a lot of chest hair and then others of them do not. But I think they do in general, they have more chest hair than, uh, some of the other races, but it seems to be that white guys and middle Eastern guys have the most hair. They're the most hairy in general. Probably to protect the light skin. That's probably how it evolved to protect the light skin from the sun. Uh, by growing, growing that hair to cover. Because, I mean, for me, my body hair does protect me from the sun. Like, if I get sunburned, the uh, area that has more hair on it, body hair on it, it will not get sunburned. And then the area that does, uh, that is just no hair, just skin, that area will get sunburned. Or it will be worse. Text me from the sun. But just just shave it a little bit if you want. I would, I would uh, recommend not thinking about it too much. Not thinking about it too much. Don't try to be too smooth. And uh, that's going to be the last question for today, guys. If
0: you would like your questions to be answered on the Steroids Podcast, go to steroidspodcast.com. And leave a comment with your questions, or email, or private message, steroidspodcast at gmail.com, or steroidspodcast on
1: Instagram. Until next time.